school holidays and I don't know, which is awesome, it's fun, but less time for sermon preparations. So hopefully this morning, it makes sense, I do feel that God's put some stuff on my heart. It's key for us as a church and for the church in general and just for the future. Hello, Elliot, how are you? You're so cute. Oh, that's my little nephew. Um, so, I don't know about you, but we, we had a bit of a rush start this morning. We told the uh, pre-service team who was here practicing, we're like, we're meant to be here around 8, we try and get here around 8, and we don't set alarms because we have kids who wake up at 5am or 6am normally, and then we just blissfully woke up this morning and we're like, oh, we should get up and get ready, and I went out to the lounge room and the boys were out there playing quietly, which was beautiful. I said, hey boys, what's the time? They're like, 8 o'clock, I'm like, ah! Get in your clothes, eat your breakfast in the car. Like I felt like, what's that Home Alone movie where they, great, got to get to the play. Wasn't quite as serious as that, but anyway, we made it. And um, thank goodness for sleep-ins. Esther keeps us up all night, so it's nice to sometimes to have a little sleep. Not all night, but she's an active sleeper. So <coughs> she, her brain never switches off. <laughs> yeah, she's a bright little button. Anyway, um, I've been thinking this week uh, about, Anzac Day a little bit, obviously, because Anzac Day was on Wednesday. <laughs> and we've been revisiting it afresh as a family because our kids are starting to inquire about it. And we went to the ceremony in the march in Milton on Wednesday. And I just think it's always great, obviously, to pay respect and honour where it's due and for the sacrifice that others have made. And it's just got me thinking a lot. But I love the prayer, the prayer of thanksgiving that was read at the ceremony. I just want to read it to us because I think um, I'll explain why. But this is what was said at the ceremony. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for the efforts being made by the nations of the world in seeking peace and happier relations with each other. We praise thee for the spirit in men and women which made them scorn the way of safety and venture all for the common cause of freedom and right. For all great and noble acts known and unknown which we believe by the mercy of God will bring about the final conquest of the forces of evil which threaten the peace and security of the world. And I just think there's so much kingdom aspect in that prayer. Like, it's honouring the soldiers, but we're on a mission to see the final conquest of evil in this world. And I guess we can't really compare our spiritual battle to the, the battle that the Anzac um, soldiers fought. It's different, but still there's so many similar aspects and how it says about the great and noble acts unknown. Um, and, you know, may we continue to be doing great and noble acts, seen and unseen, in our lives every day that actually bring about peace to a world that desperately needs it. And then there was another prayer, prayer for the nation, and I won't read the whole thing, but at the end it says, Grant, we pray that the same courage and resolution, the same comradeship and service shown in the last great struggle in which our country was involved may now be offered in the greater task of making a true and lasting peace. So may we have that same courage and resolution in our fight against the powers of darkness, the devil that seeks to devour. May we have that same comradeship in working together to actually fight for the greater task of making a true and lasting peace. And I've been talking a lot about this in previous messages, and please do listen um, on SoundCloud if you want to catch up. I don't want to recap all morning and um, keep you here all day. But Ephesians 6, 12, in the message, this is no afternoon athletics carnival that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is a life and death fight to the finish against the devils and all his angels. We're in an age-old battle between darkness and light, and our mission is to see the kingdom of heaven advance on this earth. And you probably think I'm a broken record because I keep talking about this, but it's our vision for the year. It's our heart always that we would actually see the kingdom of heaven outworked. And we haven't done a vision Sunday as such because I'm just 
we're sharing it every Sunday that we're here. This is what we're still doing. We're seeing the kingdom of heaven advance. We're on mission to see everything that is good and God. The kingdom of heaven is just everything that is good and God. Love and truth and peace and hope advance on the earth in place of hopelessness and darkness and torment. That's the mission that we're on. Matthew 6.10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want to see. We want to see heaven brought to earth. And you know what? Where heaven, where God's presence is, I should say, not where heaven, but heaven's going to be pretty awesome. But where God's presence is, I think it actually brings blessing. And I think you can see that when you look around the world and the nations of the world. Nations that have been founded... um, or that kind of have that, I guess, Christian heritage or where the church is flourishing, there's generally like, I don't know, just a blessing that flows and actually says in Psalm 112, verse 1 to 5. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. There's a blessing that comes when we actually follow God. And whether or not our nation and other nations are moving more away from that, I'm not sure. But I do believe the church is also rising and flourishing in a glorious manner on the earth at this time. Whereas I've heard from others, I haven't actually been to places like Russia and China, but I've had friends and family who have communist countries where God isn't allowed. It's almost like a hardness in the atmosphere and it's deprived of the presence of God. And you know, it says the entrance of your word brings light and the presence and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so there's a real lack of freedom and light in these places. And um, I've actually heard in China, things are changing because there's so many Christians, the government's realized they can't be so oppressive towards them because they need them on their side, which is amazing. So things are softening there. And when you look at um, Buddhist and Hindu countries, again, there's just sometimes a bit of a heaviness in the air, in the atmosphere. It's the lack of the presence of God. And that's my perception. You might think differently. And it's not an absolute. I guess there is exceptions. But I do believe that where the presence of God is, it actually affects the atmosphere. Just look at creation. All of creation shouts the glory of God. And isn't earth beautiful? The sunsets, the sunrises, the oceans, the mountains. Earth is beautiful. And it's thousands of years old. And it's still reflecting and shouting the glory of God. We've had pollution, we've had the impact of man, and it is still amazing. Imagine what it was like in the beginning. Freshly spoken out of God's mouth, pure, unadulterated, God's glory and beauty in creation. Sin hadn't yet entered the earth. Sometimes I just like to think about that. Like, just imagine the earth is beautiful now. How beautiful was it then? And to take it further, when Jesus ascended into heaven after he died, he actually said, I'm going to make a place for you. Imagine what that place is going to be like. 2,000 years on, he's making a place for us. He created this in seven days. Imagine what heaven's going to be like. I think that is a pretty amazing concept. It's going to be beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations, I think. I just want to get us thinking on what, how the presence and the heart of God and just his perfect, glorious nature actually influences and impacts and just what it's like it's amazing and I want to connect that to our role in seeing heaven established on earth it's actually our role to establish something of the beauty and glory of God's heart and heaven here on earth we don't have to wait for heaven we can actually see God's kingdom established here on earth and and bring a taste of heaven here it's not some far off unattainable thing and I don't know about you but sometimes I just have moments maybe looking out at the ocean or a sunrise or listening to a nice song and 
there's just such a tangible, tangible sense of peace in my heart where it just feels like heaven's close. Like it's not, it's a taste. We can have a taste of heaven and God's presence being so rich and tangible here on earth. And uh, yes, the obvious thing is, I guess, that sin has entered the world through Adam and Eve. Jesus did conquer it so that we have authority over that. doesn't mean it's like that. We're now back to the Garden of Eden. Sin's gone. Jesus conquered it, but we actually have to walk out um, in the authority that Jesus has given us, that victory, and see his kingdom established and the kingdom of darkness push back. So, get back to a little bit of the Bible. What is... Um, the Bible's clear on God's original and continued plan for mankind. Like, what's our mission? I've just said it's to see the kingdom of heaven advance and bring the presence of God here. But in Genesis 1 verse 28, this is the very first thing God said to man. He said, let there be um, light and let there be animals and all those things. But the first thing he turns and he says to man, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So again, that's one of the first commands that God gave to us, to be fruitful, subdue the earth. He basically said, it's all yours, and I've given you authority to rule over it. And then the last thing he said to man, um, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And there's a bit more to it, but I'm not going to read it all. Jesus has all authority. He's given that to us to go and make disciples of all nations. It sounds very similar to go and subdue the earth. It's just the same thing God's saying to us. And I think if it's the first and the last thing God said... Jesus said to man, it's pretty important. So I think that's, I just want to unpack it a bit more. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone's in, <laughs> if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. I just love that part. But then this part, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus has reconciled us to God. That sin that separates, Jesus has just demolished that when he went to the cross and took the weight of sin and death. Now we have open access to God. And not only that, he's called us to be ministers of reconciliation, to actually reconcile others to God and his heart, which I think is amazing. What a privilege and what an immense responsibility we have. Got some work to do. So in essence, um, I'm just going to switch this over so it makes more sense. Our mission is to, one, fill and subdue the earth. If you're taking notes, feel free to write this. Two, make disciples of all nations. And three, reconcile humanity to God, to God's original intent. And I firmly believe that as the presence of God infiltrates the earth through us, as we do these things, that atmospheres do shift, that heaven is established, that all things that are evil and dark are pushed back, that there's healing for the brokenhearted, joy instead of mourning, hope for those who lack hope, freedom for those oppressed, hearts are reconciled and humanity is restored to God. Okay, so I'm going somewhere with this. kind of seems a bit dry so far, doesn't it? But is everyone with me? That's good. I feel like I'm amongst friends here. It feels very like, I don't know, nice. Thanks for listening, guys. So how do we exactly do this? It's all very well to say, go subdue the earth and disciple nations and reconcile people to God. A lot of my messages have been focusing on this, actually. How do we do this? How do we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? And again, have a listen. It unpacks that in different aspects. But this morning, I want to unpack it even further. Um, do we just, <laughs> if we want to see the kingdom of heaven advance and the earth filled with his presence, do we just go stand on the streets and praise God and the streets will be filled with his presence and do we just read the gospel and everyone will be discipled, nations will be discipled and hearts will be reconciled to God? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But 
I think there is a little bit more to it than that. And this is my perception. And I do feel it's key for what God is saying to us as a church and as followers of Christ, the global church, really. I think it's not just me who would think this. There'll be others. Ephesians 1, verse 20 to 23 in the message. I love this verse. It says, All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. It's just the power that Jesus has. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. One of my all-time favorite verses. The church is... Christ's body by which he wants to fill everything with his presence. I love this. And uh, the problem is that to fill the earth with his presence, I think we've got to get out into the earth. And I was reading some information that said probably up until about 30 years ago, church was big on everyone come to us and we'll like be in our little clubs and withdraw from the well because that's polluting us and just got to keep our righteousness and our holiness here together rather than actually getting out there. So I want to talk a little bit about that. How can we fill the world with his presence if we're not in it? Isaiah verse 2 says, It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And I think that's beautiful and I think that's happening. People are being drawn to the house of God and the heart of God. But I can see how people might misinterpret that scripture as people will come to us. We don't need to go to them. And this may seem obvious to you, but I do believe God's plan to subdue the earth, to make disciples of all nations and restore creation does require us to think outside of these four walls and to get out there. So, I believe the church, his body, which is just us, we're the church, is the vehicle by which God wants to fill the earth. And we do this by taking his presence into our spheres of influence and impacting all areas of society and culture. That's how we fill the earth with his presence and not just build our Christian clubs. And this brings me to my main topic for today. That was all by way of introduction. I've been sitting on some some things and probably for 12 months now just grappling with it. It's the concept of the seven cultural mountains of influence. Who's heard of these? Okay, that's good. A few people, that's good. That means I can still preach my sermon. You don't all know it all. (laughs) But uh, I've heard our friends at the Equippers Church in New Zealand that often talk about this. I know Hillsong's big on it and uh, I want to talk a little bit about it. I believe there's a lot in it for us. The background is that Lauren Cunningham, who started YWAM, Youth with a Mission, bases all over the world, you know, discipling and sending out young people. Um, And Bill Bright, who's the leader of the Crew Campus Crusade for Christ. Both of these men had a dream in 1975 on the same night and then they came together the next day to chat and they realised they both had the same dream and the dream was that God showed them these seven cultural mountains of influence and God said, These mountains and infiltrating these mountains and climbing to the high places of these mountains are going to be key to actually filling the earth with his presence in these days, not just to be building the church, but to get out there. So these mountains are one, family, two, religion, three, government, four, education, five, media, 
six arts and entertainment, and seven business. Now, you might not like this model and think, what about this? Or maybe it's forgotten this. And this is just one kind of, I guess, model or concept on impacting the culture and society. And I do like it. Uh, and so that's when I'm going to use it today. And according to this model, these mountains are the main influences of culture. And if we don't have people who are carrying God's heart in these mountains, then these mountains are deprived of the presence and the heart of God. And we're never going to disciple a nation. So, and as I said earlier, the problem is we've kind of recluse to our four walls as a church rather than getting out there and, um, I guess, dominating in these areas of influence and cultural mountains. So instead of godly people impacting business and art and government, we withdrew from the mountains and that's when culture became deprived of the heart and the presence of God. And don't get me wrong, there is people in these areas influencing at present and I think it's something that God wants us to continue to grow in and continue to focus on. Cool picture. Bit of the missing link. And I believe that all of us are created to have influence in one or more of these mountains. You might actually have influence in a few of them. And through these cultural mountains, the purpose of God will either advance or be taken away from. And I could go through each of those mountains and explain a bit more, which I might do in future weeks, but I have already got a long enough sermon, so I won't unpack it all thoroughly. But I want to talk a little bit about how we gain influence in these mountains. I believe character is key. I'll explain why. Firstly, we can't carry the heart of God into our mountain of influence if our hearts aren't right. At first, we're not going to reflect the heart of God and bring godly influence and kingdom purpose if our hearts aren't right with God. You might say you want to change the media world or impact education or statistics on suicide in society. That is awesome. But how is your heart? Because you're not going to change the world if you can't govern your own heart and if you can't keep it free of junk. And the same goes with your family. I listened to a message on this. We've got to do well with what we've been given before God will entrust us with more. We can't govern our own heart, and if we can't govern our own family, how do we expect to influence a mountain of culture? I don't think it's going to happen. We've got to do well with what we've been entrusted with, and it starts in our hearts. Proverbs 31 talks about a wife of noble character, and it's an epic passage. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs at the days to come, and it's just such a picture of influence. But you know what? Proverbs 31 isn't just about a wife. It's also a picture of the church, as Christ's bride, and it says a wife of noble character who can find. So maybe a church of noble character who can find. It sounds like it's rare and maybe we are the church. So maybe it's rare to find people of noble character. And God's actually saying, where are these people of noble character who I can actually entrust this Proverbs 31 influence to? And if you read Proverbs 31, she's influential in family and in business and in government. There's a lot of influence there. And that's actually the heart for the church. And in some versions, in the King James Version, it says, who can find a virtuous woman instead of a woman of character? And the Hebrew for virtuous is kyle. And this means force. If you have good character... You're a force. Who has the character to win a mountain? Power and authority come from character. And we talk a lot about power and authority, but we don't just get power and authority. It actually comes from character. That's where the force comes from. As we grow in our character and our influence, as we grow in our character, our influence in these mountains will increase. The more people of good character who bring force and influence we have on the mountain, and the higher they are, the closer we get to what's called a tipping point, a cultural tipping point. Malcolm Gladwell, who's a Canadian author and journalist, he wrote um, a book called The Tipping Point on this. 
And he says of it, it's a magical moment when an idea, trend or social behaviour crosses a threshold, tips and spreads like wildfire. He actually says um, a tipping point, a cultural tipping point is similar to an epidemic in terms of its contagiousness. It just catches on, spreads like wildfire. And um, scientists have actually found that when just 10% of the population holds an unshakable belief, their belief will always be adopted by the majority of society. And so that's a similar thing. There's a certain number of people believing something that will catch on. But according to Gladwell, it only takes 3 to 5% of leadership at the tip of a cultural mountain to shift the culture's view of an issue. So that's not 10%. That's saying if you're at the top of a mountain, you've got disproportionate influence. Your influence increases exponentially. And just look at the likes of Steve Jobs and Steven Spielberg and um, Mark Zuckerberg and all these men who are at the top of their mountains, and they're, they're not even 3 to 5%. They're one man who has had incredible cultural influence, change the way we see world and society. Bill Bright calls these people at the top of these mountains mind moulders, culture shapers who are wielding disproportionate influence. And I actually see, I'm talking on this today because I see some of you at the tops of mountains being key influences of society and culture. And you know, sometimes we think, oh, the main goal is we've just got to be a leader in church or be a pastor. That's not the main goal. The main goal is actually to gain influence and authority in all of these cultural mountains and we're never going to disciple all nations and we're never going to subdue the earth. We'll just have a nice, big, glorious church which will fill the earth with this presence but we need to get out there into all spheres of society. Maybe God's given you the keys to see our welfare or child protection system reinvented in a way that protects and sets families up to flourish Maybe he's giving you a business idea that will see kingdom purpose uh, locked in a greater way across the board. Maybe he's given you an idea that will see the education mountain shift. I think there's some of you here, God's given you some dreams that are going to actually shift the way we do things in culture. And I do, I want to pray for uh, people in these mountains and uh, yeah, just pray that God will continue to speak to you and encourage you in a moment. But I really felt that God is highlighting the mountain of business as I've been preparing and I just can't get away from business, the mountain of business. And even as I was reading, there was others who were saying the same thing, that business is really key in the times that we're living in. And I'm going to unpack that. Businessmen and women are often graced with an anointing for favour and prosperity to actually resource the kingdom. And I've been reading some really good books on leadership and money at the moment. And I'm going to share from them in a moment. I'm going to quote one, I need it, from Paul de Jong. He's written God, Money and Me, and I'm getting so much out of this. And he talks a lot uh, about this, uh, about money, and I love what you said before, Lynn, just about the heart of God and it not being about money, about relationship and how it's connected to kingdom purpose. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. He also talks about budgeting and not just sowing, but reaping. And there's a lot of wisdom in here. And I'm just going to share a little snippet. So if you like the full picture and more holistic approach, get his book and read it. And I just think sometimes in church when we start talking about money or even in society, people glaze over. But don't glaze over because I really feel money is a kingdom principle that is actually key to unlocking growth and kingdom purpose. And it's something we have to grasp. It's a stumbling block. I think it's make or break stuff in the kingdom. So, you know what? Um, I don't need money for the kingdom of God to advance. It's the spirit of God and that is true. The spirit of God does advance without money and you know maybe in eastern countries the spirit of god and the church has been built 
amazingly without financial resource. In fact, probably it's because they don't have that, it's God's breaking out even more. But we don't live in the Eastern world, we live in the Western world. And financial resource and material things are actually how the kingdom is built and how we reach people in our world. We do need a demonstration of the power of God, but we also need resources. And I love this quote from a fellow pastor. Be as theological as you want to be, but the church will never reach her full redemptive potential until a river of financial resource starts flowing in her direction. So I know I was talking about business and now I've branched off into money. As I do believe God is going to use business to provide a river of financial resource to resource the kingdom and bring blessing across the board and to help the church reach her full Proverbs 31 strength and dignity Ephesians 1 fill the whole earth with his presence potential God's doing something incredible significant incredibly significant in the area of business and I'm going to come back to that but I just want to um, branch off and talk a little bit more about money and God's heart on it as I said I believe it's key to understand like if we can understand God's heart on money it's going to shape a lot it's going to shape our future it's going to shape our growth it's going to shape how the kingdom continues to be unlocked so to quote Paul De Jong, this is what he says about money. He really addresses lots of myths in this, and I'm, I'm just going to read because if I say it, it won't be as good. <clears throat> so here he's addressing myth. It's, he calls it myth five, but it's just that God's kingdom doesn't need money. We need to understand that money isn't the thing that should rule us. However, we can release the kingdom by the correct use of it. In the Lord's Prayer, we declare, Your kingdom come. Come where? On earth? How's that going to happen? How will that take place if we continue with lack of supply? I'm just jumping now. He then says, The church auditorium as we sit in today are here because someone gave money, time and expertise to build what God wanted. As a result, many lives have been impacted by God and a big part of the answer was the provision of finance that was required to build them. How true is that? How many lives has this church, this youth ministry, our kids ministry, our play group, our small groups impacted countless, countless testimonies. If we didn't have this building, we'd all be sitting out there on the grass on picnic rugs. I'm not sure if it would have the same appeal. This building has housed and made space for us to actually reach a community. And it is here because of people's faith, because of people's generosity. And I think that is going to continue to be the key to building things that actually house God and the move of God. <clears throat> he then says, please don't tell me <clears throat> that we don't need to focus on money because no matter where you are with your finances, God's purpose needs more. Money says to a dream that he's born out of the spirit of God, we can create a vehicle to carry that. It is time for all of us to lift our commitment to see God's kingdom materialize. And it says in Ecclesiastes 10:18, because of laziness, the building decays and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Oh, sounds a bit like our building. <laughs> I don't think I hope we're not lazy and we have idle hands. But I just love what he says there. Money says to a dream that is born out of the Spirit of God, we can create a vehicle to carry that. How awesome is that? Pick my book now. <clears throat> Just going to grab a drink of water, actually. Think on that for a little moment. <clears throat> the mission we're on the dream in our hearts to bring hope. Why are you laughing? <laughs> and a taste of heaven. I don't want to go. <sighs> to a broken world takes resource. It's a partnership between us and God. It doesn't just happen. God wants to build his kingdom through us. 
And as Paul de Jong says, the kingdom of heaven and the work God is doing here on earth through us is built through both material and spiritual things. God has put the resource he needs to build his kingdom on earth at this time in us, I believe. I don't think he'd have a plan to reach humanity in this day and age without resourcing it. Like he's not going to say do it and then not give us enough to do it. He's put everything we need within us. And, you know, just as he's gifted us with everything we need to reach a broken world in terms of our giftings, you know, it talks about in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, the gift of mercy and the gift of healing and the gift of encouragement. These are all giftings that he's put in us to reconcile humanity to God for this time. He's given us what we need to reconcile humanity to God. I think he's also put everything we need to finance and resource the kingdom in this day and age within us also. Acts 17 verse 24 to 26 I might just read it if you have that, Pat. <coughs> yeah, I can read it off my paper. I read it off my paper. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, who doesn't live in temples, like in the Old Testament, and that's what I'm talking about. We're not just restricting God to this. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. That's what I'm talking about, getting out there into the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the places they should live. For in him we live and move and have our being. And there's probably a little bit more to it. I summarized it in my notes. But I love that. He determined the time set for them and the places they should live. God has determined that we would be alive on this planet at this time, in this place, for a purpose. God is not scatterbrained and haphazard in his positioning. If we are here in this community together on mission, there's a purpose in that. And God has given us everything that we need to reach a community to see his kingdom advance. There's no lack in God. There is only lack if we withhold. <coughs> Sorry, don't want to make a loud noise. Have a sip. <coughs> no, that's fine. I'm just going to get this one off. <laughs> All right, it's gone. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, guys. Thanks for bearing with me. And as I said, God's given us everything we need in terms of our giftings, in terms of our resource. And you might be saying, but I don't know what my gifting is. I don't know if I've got a gift of healing or mercy or encouragement or what I can actually offer to the world. And I have spoken another message on this, discovering the purpose in the heart of God for your life. Again, backtrack to that. But just briefly, I pointed out in my last message that God's purpose may not be our preference. Phil Pringle, I've read this before and I love this quote. He says, what are you good at? Not what you think you're good at, but what are you actually good at? And he says to focus on that, nurture that, maximize it. And I do think we all have stuff on the inside that comes naturally. And that's often an indication of how we're wired and the giftings that God has put on our lives. How ridiculous if Steve Jobs was to be a farmer, for example. He would have missed out on a huge part of what he was created for and shifting culture in that sense. It never occurred to me to be a tradesman or doing things that require practical intelligence and strength. It doesn't come naturally to me. So I think there is definitely a degree where there's things that come naturally and we need to go with that. It's actually how God has gifted us. But also there's times, I think, where we need to step out in faith, where what God has called us to do doesn't come naturally. And we do have to, I guess, embrace the stretch. Moses, for example, he was called to be a mouthpiece to bring deliverance and freedom for a generation. He did not feel comfortable about that. He had to step out and trust God. He didn't see it. He probably didn't believe it. But only once he stepped out did God show him the mantle that was on his life and show him, I guess, just how much he wanted to use him to free a generation. And imagine if he didn't step out. Maybe deliverance would have arisen from somewhere else. I think that does often happen. But then he would have missed out on actually being a part 
of seeing God's purpose outworked on the earth. Or maybe things would have looked very different. Because I was thinking about this. Often, like, we can say, oh, if we say no to God, someone else will spring up. But I think often something is lost. Because if you imagine everyone that says no to God, that's one less person on the earth fulfilling their mission and their purpose. And um, there's a lot, there's a lack, there's a gap that is left. So, um, as I said, I think he's also placed all the resource, just as he's gifted us and we can step out in faith, I think there's also a time for us to step out, I guess, and stretch our faith in terms of just our giving and what God has entrusted to us. All right, just catching up. So, just as we can embrace our gifting or run from it, as Moses had the opportunity to, I think we can embrace, I guess, what God has planned in terms of us being able to give and em- embracing generosity, or we can run from it. And as I said, if we run, there's a gap left in the plan. Someone's not at their post, and it either makes it harder work for everyone else to pick up the slack, or if enough people leave their post, ultimately the gap is too big, and the breach can't be covered, and there is a lack. Okay. So, and you know, some people are actually blessed with a gift of generosity. It talks about that in the Bible. But regardless of whether you're blessed with a gift of generosity, I think we're all called to be generous. The Bible is very clear on that. And you can just look up Bible verses on giving and generosity, and there's heaps. And I do think that, and tithing is biblical as well, money shouldn't be a taboo. I think it is something in our society that we try and keep a bit secretive. It's a bit of a sacred cow. No one can talk about their money or what they're doing with it. Jesus actually talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. Obviously a pretty key kingdom concept. I'm going to read again from Paul Jong. This is what he says on this. How closely do you think your money and your faith are intertwined? How do you spend your money or does how you spend your money have anything at all to say about your relationship with God? As a pastor for more than 35 years, I found it amazing how many times people have said to me, I'd get uncomfortable if people were to know what I do with my money. Even though this may be a common feeling, it comes from a belief that our money is ours and that it is separate from our walk with God. That's very different from how God sees it. As author Randy Alcorn notes in The Treasure Principle, Jesus spent more time teaching on money, this is what I said, than on heaven and hell combined. Why? Because there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. We may try and divorce our faith and our finances, but God sees them as inseparable. Faith and finances are inseparable. Evangelist Billy Graham once said, you can tell where someone's life is at by taking time to look at their checkbook or in today's terms at their bank statements. The enemy wants to distract us or dissolve our sense of responsibility when it comes to money. He works very hard at preventing us from reaching a place where we are completely open for God to bring kingdom blessing. Could you stand and have your money management revealed in full transparency before the courts of your king? If you subscribe to Myth 6, you might start to feel the pressure here. And that Myth 6 is that my money response is a private affair. So I love what Billy Graham says. You can tell where someone's life and faith is at by where they spend their money. Paul de Jong, we may try and separate our faith and our finances, but God sees them as inseparable. And if God looked at our bank statements or if we showed them to a friend, would it reflect where our faith is at? What would they think? And as this says, and as I said, people might say, well, it's, my, it's no one else's business, my money. 
Some people actually quote this scripture um, to back that up. In Matthew 6, verse 1 to 4, it says, Don't do charitable deeds before men or let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But this verse, I think, is more about motive than about transparency. It's about don't wave, like this is what I'm doing. It's not saying don't be transparent. It's saying don't boast about what you're doing. I think financial transparency is key. And for us at Highway here, we definitely want to be transparent. We definitely don't want anything to be hidden. And Tom Foley, who's now in Wagga, and it was great to have him here last week, he's done a great job with our book work and all our um, like yearly summaries and everything. If you ever want to look at them, please come and see Josh and myself or Dean and Nancy, and we'll be able to get everything you could ever want to look at there for you. It's all open, above board. And I, I hope you know that our hearts are good, and we've got an awesome eldership here that do govern the finances. But I know there can be suspicion that creeps in. So if there is suspicion, go and have a look at the books. Then it removes all room for suspicion and hopefully gives you greater confidence to know that, I guess, um, we're being wise with what God has entrusted us with and we take it very seriously. But also at a personal level, I believe financial transparency is key. If someone came to me, one of my leaders, my mentors, or even a friend just came to me and said, hey, Sarah, what's your perception on giving? Where's your giving at? Show me your bank statements. I'd be like, sure, have a look. Because I do think, as this thing is saying, that we need to be transparent and open. It's not a hidden thing. And I guess if this person had come to me, it's because they have this understanding that faith and finances are inextricably linked. And maybe part of my discipleship and growth is that I need to grow in this area. And maybe they need to see that my money is literally where my mouth is. I'm saying, I want to build a kingdom and our heart is for this. Do we sow into that financially with our heart? Because where our treasure is there, our heart is. And if I'm withholding financially, then it probably means my heart isn't where I say it is. And obviously, the person who might be asking this, I would say, understands that money is one of God's greatest testing grounds and understands that being faithful is key. Faithful in finances is key to my growth. Uh, Paul De Jong, again, says this. Uh, money is our testing ground. When Marie and I arrived in New Zealand, we were confronted by something quite different from what we'd experienced in Australia in the area of leadership and resource. People within the church were so sensitive on the topics of leadership and money. We realised that because of the pushback, many churches were going nowhere. Um, oh, hang on a minute. No, I'm just going to read. I'm just making sure I'm reading the right part. No, that is right. Um, yes, people had a belief in God and attended church on Sundays, but there was a, such a lack of revelation knowledge in these two areas. Believe it or not, money is one of God's main testing grounds. Luke 16, 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your, to your trust the true riches? In other words, if you are not faithful in the material things you've been given, why would God entrust you to a ministry responsibility that has bearing into eternity? How good is that? God's looking at what we do with our money and he's going to see whether he entrusts us with um, the, the true riches, which is spiritual riches. I think this scripture suggests that money is our testing ground. If I really wanted to turn up the heat right now, I would say if you want to do something for God, God says, well, let's first check out the way you deal with your money. I want to observe where your faith is when it comes to finance, where your trust is, where the priority of your security is to determine whether or not you are ready to be entrusted with more. And, um, yeah, that's all I need to read on that. To take it a step further, in terms of transparency, if we look at Mark chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus actually sits there and watches everyone putting their money in. 
Imagine if we did that today. You thought, how much are you putting in? I'm sure there'd be uproar. uproar. And as he watches some, he says, they have much, but they have given little. Whereas with the widow, he says she had given everything she had. And I do think that what is done in private always comes out into the line. It's just the way God works. And this widow was honoured for her great faith. So it's a myth that things pertaining to money should be hidden. I think accountability is important in all areas of our life, not just the ones that we want to, want to be accountable in. Why is money such a sacred cow in our society? It needs to be talked about. A proper understanding of it is key to our growth and key to unlocking greater kingdom growth across the board. And for Josh and I, we've tired as soon as we had jobs as teenagers and it's just something that like, we were taught from our parents and something that we've always, I guess, grasped in our hearts and loved doing. I, used, I love, no matter what I was paid, I always loved being able to go to church and put my tithe in and so into purpose that was beyond um, myself. Show me your bank statements and I'll show you where your heart is. Radical generosity has actually been a key for Josh and I at different points, whether sowing directly into the church or being generous with others to actually bring breakthrough in our life. Now, just to share a little bit, um, talking about being transparent. Recently here at Highway, church finances have been a little bit more restricted. Naturally, some people have moved on to different churches and naturally, giving is going to decrease. So, what was our response? Um, not to panic or start putting pressure on the church, you need to give more. You might think I'm doing that now. I'm not putting pressure on you. I'm actually wanting you to grasp a larger view of giving and kingdom giving and how it actually impacts our growth and unlocks kingdom purpose on the earth. But returning to our response, uh, keeping in mind that money is one of our greatest testing grounds. When the pressure comes on, do we withhold and become more stingy or do we continue to give generously do we continue to trust what God has put in our hearts and, and this is what we did or we attempted to do like I'm sure we probably could have done things better all the time but we prayed first we sought God and said all right God the pressure's on what do you want us to do about this and we felt God say to us first increase your giving increase your tithing and like we tithe normally 10% and just chuck in a bit of extra as offering and we always chuck in the missions but we felt God say to increase our minimum giving to 15% which doesn't seem like much but it is an increase and I think we would like to continue um, to increase our percentage of giving so for example if we earn $3,000 over a fortnight 15% of that is 450 and that's the minimum we've committed to give but often we'll just round it up to 500 or 600 we just chuck in the extra bit we make sure we give minimum of 15% I think God always wants us to be growing in our capacity to give and I have heard it said that our senior ministers should be the one giving the largest percentage of their income. So if any of you are giving more than 15%, you need to come and tell me because we might need to up our game. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of you are. Um, and as I said, yeah, we sow into missions and property also, not on a percentage, but we just chuck in offerings. So our response to giving dropping. We prayed, we sought God, we felt, first of all, we need to increase our giving to actually make a way and set an example and break something open. We then met with our team, we sought input, we brainstormed. Is there areas that we can cut back on? And we found out we were being overcharged for our phone bill ridiculously, like just little things that maybe as we just get together and talk about it, we can actually adjust and can actually help finances, um, I guess, be more wise and be good stewards with it. And not just that we didn't just look at how can we address things practically we decided that it would be good to pray and fast as a team for breakthrough that's the pray and fast that we had recently for continued breakthrough 
Uh, and we also agreed it's important that we continue sharing and teaching vision around giving and finances and being transparent with the church, as I'm doing now. And lastly, we challenged the team to go home and seek God. What was he saying to them? Look, there's an issue here and we want to see breakthrough. Go pray. What is God saying to you about your giving and what you might need to be doing? If we're leaders of the church, we're paving the way for others and we should be setting an example. So, and paving a way for God to break open and um, I guess allow breakthrough to flow. But the point of all this is to be transparent, is to encourage transparency, um, to help people understand how faith and finances are inextricably linked. You can't separate the two. And maybe if you feel like you haven't grown much lately, can I encourage you to go home and pray to God? Where's your heart at with giving? Where's your heart at with money? God doesn't entrust more unless that one of those, that's one of the key aspects that needs to be right before he entrusts more. As Paul de Jong says, God wants to look at your finances to see whether we can be entrusted with more. And I want to present you with the same challenge that we presented to the team this morning, to go home and seek God rather than just ritual. Like, what is God actually saying to you regarding giving, whether you need to sow in here or elsewhere, or is there something that God's calling you to sow in generously and maybe to break open a greater degree of growth over your life? And we're stepping into uncharted territory here as a church. We've got an awesome building. But we're looking at building million-dollar next-generation facilities. That is huge for a small town, and I have no doubt that it's going to take kingdom provision and kingdom faith, and that the hearts, you guys are generous people. You're a generous-hearted church, and I know that God is going to break something open as we continue just to seek Him and um, believe Him for more. And why? Not because we fancy a big, fancy building, but because we realize God has called us to reach a lost and lonely generation who is searching for truth and belonging. And we understand that there isn't much room for growth here, especially in our kids' ministry. What if all the people who we're having divine connections with at the moment, I know just hearing stories and Josh and I in our lives, so many people who are just open to the love of God and searching. What if all those people who were working to reconcile to God all of a sudden decided to come to church? I don't know if we'd fit them all. We certainly wouldn't fit their kids. <laughs> we actually have to create the building to house the increase or I don't think it's going to come. We need to expand in the natural so God can bring the increase. So we're embarking on something huge. Prayer and consideration and faith is key. And isn't just Josh and I or a few team members dream. I know as a church you carry the dream to reach a lost and broken world. It's our dream. And I firmly believe our giving in this next season is key to unlocking kingdom resource and kingdom purpose over our church, over our community and over a generation. And as I said earlier, I think God's placed everything we need in us. Where God calls, he equips, and he's placed the right people at the right time here for his purpose to be outworked. All right, is everyone hanging in there? I can see a few yawns. I hope that's just because you had a late night at the ball last night. <laughs> um, anyway, go home and pray as God leads. See what he says to you. And I love this quote. Dream with me of the day when a river of resource will be pouring into local churches all around the world so that the work of God can flourish. I dream of this day. May God stir our hearts for the kingdom possibilities that can be unlocked as a river of resource flows into the church and facilitates the purpose of God across the globe. And I know for some of you right now, your hearts are stirring. And businessmen especially, I think this will resonate with you because you know there's something within you that God has actually graced and anointed you with to actually resource the kingdom. Let God continue to stir your heart for the possibility. I do believe he's pouring out a divine favor on grace on business in this time, in this day and age to actually fund kingdom purpose. And I'm not just talking about local church initiatives. I'm going to make it a bit broader now. Returning to the mountains... 
I believe God, as I said earlier, is placing people on the high tops of mountains to bring great influence in society and culture. And I just can't get away from the mountain of business being key to his purpose being outworked on the earth at this time and key to actually influencing all the other mountains. So as I said, I want to take it a bit broader now. I've been grappling with why, why business? And I said to Josh, yeah, I can see how business is key, but isn't entertainment and media and all those, the arts, probably more key than business? Like, I think that's probably the biggest influence of our modern day society and culture. And Josh said to me, yes, but business people are heading up those industries. I was like, oh, yes. Look at media. Facebook has taken the world by storm. It has been a key influencer of society and culture. How did it happen? An entrepreneurial businessman, Mark Zuckerberg, had the entrepreneurial idea to invent it. Our media, our newspapers, our television companies are largely owned by the Packers. Kerry Packer was an incredibly successful businessman known as a media tycoon in Australia. It's been said that at the time of his death, Kerry Packer was one of the, if not the, most richest and influential men in Australia. Do you see the link that I'm drawing here? Financial resource brings influence across all the other mountains. Kerry's riches bought a dominion over the mountain of media and it meant he could largely influence what was being infiltrated out to the masses. Steve Jobs, he's changed the culture through media and technology. Is he not a businessman? Steven Spielberg is an incredibly influential um, filmmaker and entertainer, just one man who had a who's had a concept that's actually influenced the masses. And the mountain of business doesn't just influence media and entertainment. Take government and education initiatives. Government and education funding only goes so far. And if you want to organise initiatives that actually impact community and education and make a difference, often you've got to get your private resourcing or your private funding because there's only certain limits the government will give out to things. And that's when the businessmen come in. Do you want to fund this initiative? Do you want to actually be part of influencing a community? Often a businessman or woman who believes in change and wants to get behind the initiative will be the one who backs it. And again, the mountain of religion, as I was talking about with the church, its growth is facilitated by finance, especially here in the Western world. Again, business is a key player. So what's the point of all this? I don't think I'm going to provide much answers this morning as much as provoked us to thought. I just want to widen our perspective enlarge our thinking because I think so often we can be about church, 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 leadership in the church and I do think that business has been a largely brushed to the side um, thing in church life. It's not really acknowledged but is what I'm trying to get us to see is that I believe business is actually key to kingdom purpose and influence being unlocked across all mountains in society and culture and I actually just believe it's a prophetic word from God that he's highlighting, he's pouring out grace, favour and anointing on businessmen in this day and age and maybe just watch this space, maybe it's for the future and it will begin to make more sense. So in summary, the church is the vehicle, I might get someone to play guitar too, by which God wants to fill the whole earth with his presence but to fill the whole earth we have to get out into the whole earth, God's positioning us on the seven mountains in key positions of influence to actually affect cultural tipping points. As I said, it only takes 3 to 5% of people at the top of those mountains to actually change the way society and culture see things. Character is key in this. If we can't govern our heart, how can we bring influence in a mountain, a cultural mountain? And I believe God is especially putting godly men and women in high places on the mountain of business as the mountain that affects so much of society and culture 
And as I said, maybe God is shifting our mindset. It's not evil or greedy to be a businessman that is prosperous. I don't think maybe that's where it's come in that, oh, he's got so much money, he must be greedy. It's part of God's vehicle to fund kingdom purpose on the earth and affect change across all the other mountains. And essentially, I believe, fill the earth with his presence. Because the more businessmen with a heart for God and the kingdom in high places, the more we're going to see kingdom purpose outworked on this earth. So this is what I want to do. Oh, don't stand yet. I want to pray for our businessmen. I said I want to pray for all the mountains. But first of all, I want to pray for our businessmen. I want to get around them. And I know Josh has a business as well as a pastor. I know the pressure that that brings. And I know there's others of you here who are businessmen. And whether or not your business is small or big, I think there's a grace and anointing that God is pouring out on our businessmen and women in this hour because I believe you're going to carry something that's going to be key to unlocking kingdom purpose across all areas of society. So stand. If you, I know there's a lot of you here. If you're employed, self-employed, you have your own business in any manner or form, can you stand? And we are going to get around you and we're going to pray for you for increased favor and anointing to bless your business and just to bless your endeavors. So, and if I was going to say someone go stand with Ryan. If you're not standing, come and gather around these guys. Put your arms on their backs. Let's just let them know that we're with them and we actually acknowledge what they carry. And it's not just a side thing, but that it's part of the call God's put on their life. All right. So, ready, businessmen, for a double blessing, increase of favor and anointing and capacity. We thank you, God, for our businessmen and women. I thank you for these ones that have been placed in the cultural mountain of business. I thank you that you have placed them there for such a time of this, as this, as you said, you place people in the right time, in the right place. And we recognize that these businessmen and women are in the place that they're in for such a time as this. And I feel strongly that you are unlocking kingdom purpose and kingdom resource through the mountain of business in a way that is going to actually affect the earth being filled with your whole presence. So we thank you for these ones, for an anointing to continue in their business, for grace, for a favor, for increase in wisdom. I pray that where there's been barriers, maybe in business, because I know there's a lot of decision-making and a lot of pressure, and maybe where there's been blockages, God, I just think that these blockages would open, that where there's been a pressure and a strain, I think that there will come an ease. And I know that we feel an ease and a grace and anointing when it comes to serving here in church, but I thank you for an ease and a grace and anointing in the business world for these businessmen and women who you have called to be incredibly influential. And for some, I see them climbing to the top of the business mountain. I see them influencing cultural tipping points, that three to five percent, that small point, that small tip that's actually going to influence society and culture at a broader level. I thank you that now you're stirring dreams and visions in hearts that are beyond anything we could imagine, God. You're putting God dreams in hearts. And I thank you that as we go this morning, that you continue to stir the possibilities in these men and women's hearts. And ultimately, I pray they will be encouraged that they would know that they're not alone, that what they do is valuable, incredibly valuable, and we just want to stand with them, and we thank you, God, for them. Let's just give these guys a hand. All right, and just to finish, and then we'll sing with everyone standing, I just thank you, God that you are calling us to fill the whole earth with your presence, that you're calling us to disciple nations, that you're calling us to reconcile people to you. And I thank you that we don't just do it in the four walls of the church, but that you've actually got these mountains in society that you're calling us to be placed in where we can actually see the whole earth filled with your presence. And for those here who may be placed in the mountains of family or media or entertainment or government, maybe there's different um, aspects where you've placed us, God. 
I thank you again for the influence that each and every one here has, that people would be encouraged, that they wouldn't feel that their role is insignificant, that you would continue to bring great influence, that we would see your kingdom advance on earth and that we would see darkness pushed back and just your glorious purpose outworked and a lost and dying world reconciled to you. God, amen. Amen. Thank you, team. What shall we finish with? It's up to you guys. Maybe praise. Praise the Lord. Found love beyond all reason. You gave your life, your all for me, and call me yours forever. Caught in the mercy fall out, found hope, found life, found all I need. You're all I need. The time.